Sorry about that. That's to try and wake you up because of that noise. Woo! I will not walk in front of that again. Thank you for the invite to be here, Philip, and for the opportunity to come and, and just visit with you and uh, talk with you about a couple of things that are on my heart. And uh, as I listen to the prayer request today and uh, just the heart that you have uh, for reaching people with the gospel, it's deeply powerful and impactful. And we'll continue to pray uh, just hearing these needs and knowing that um, there are so many people out there that don't know who Jesus is. And he holds for them this power and this deep resource and this deep well of love, of forgiveness and hope. And so we need to pray for them. I was like them. I was a child growing up with five brothers and I did not know Jesus. I never heard God's word. I never knew anything about the Bible. I didn't know anybody anywhere in any of my family that ever prayed to him. Now, they used his name, but they used it when they were angry, and they used it in vain. And I didn't know a single thing about Jesus until the day I was at a university and someone tapped me on my shoulder while I was in line registering for classes, and he said, I've got a couple of questions for you. Do you know who God is? Do you believe that his word is true and accurate. Do you, and I, I didn't know what he was talking about. Do you ha- and so he was trying to gauge what I knew, and I knew nothing. So I'm so grateful that there are people out there like him who then came to my dorm room and shared the good news of the gospel, and I heard it for the first time. And the scales came off. And that's how I came to know Christ, was at a university when someone just felt the need to take the gospel to a group like me who didn't know anything, had never heard of God's word, never even spent any time. Now, I'd gone to a Catholic church about three times, and that was it. Wasn't it awesome that God never gives up on us? He never stops loving us and seeking us. So I'm really grateful to be here and to talk with you who have such a heart for missions and especially reaching out for people uh, that need this to hear this. So, you know, uh, I've been married now for a number of years. Um, my wife and I, she's back there, Elisa, we've been celebrating about 30 years, and we love talking about marriages and relationships and the way that God has designed us to be in relationship. And he's designed us in a really interesting and amazing way. And I get to study that as a psychologist. I get to see all of these cool things that always point back to him. And every time we go and talk about relationships, I'm always reminded of what it means to have a family. Um, And we're going to talk today about flourishing families in a world that's hurting and perishing. You see, because when I became a Christian, the first thing I did is I looked for families and I looked at this man's family and I saw something that I did not see in my family. What do you think I saw in this family that I didn't see in mine? I saw somebody who cared and loved God's word. I saw somebody who then cared and loved for his wife. I had never seen that before. My parents were divorced. My dad was with somebody else. In fact, I lived with him for a while. Mom remarried. And for the first time, I saw what it meant to treat somebody with kindness and with love, but with Christ-like love. And it drew me to God. I knew it must be true. I knew God's word must be true because I saw it in these families. You are the reason some people like me who don't, didn't know Jesus will come to know him because of your love for one another. The way you love, the way you care for, the way you treat another 
is the reason why some people are going to say, I want to know who that God is. I want to know who he is. If there's a love like that, I want that. You know, John 13, 34 and 35 says, it's a familiar passage for many of you. It says this. It says, we, well, before I go there, it says we know something about Jesus's and God's love for each other and that all people will know that you are his disciples if you have what? How will people know that you're Jesus' disciples? You will have? You'll have love for one another. Do you, that's an amazing word. All people will know. Do you know there's something deep down built in to us about the ability to know that you love Jesus? As a psychologist, I have been studying the brain and the mind and human behavior, and we have found out some amazing things that say that we are designed to pick up things that we're really not always even conscious and aware of. And I want to talk about that today. How will people know that we love them? How will we have a family that's designed to flourish and point others that are in this world that's perishing to him? How do we do that in our relationships? How do we do that in our marriages? It's always funny to go talk, and I, I put this picture up here, and it keeps going off because I'm, I'm not really sure how to use this thing. And that is something that I built not long ago. In our, I have a, uh, we have three children, my wife and I, and when our kids were, I don't know, let's say they were about four, three and four, I put this together, and you know what this is? It's a gas grill. And I put this gas grill together, and it's the first thing we built it. We put it all together, and I worked on it, and I brought the kids in here because it was sitting out on the patio right where they play, and I said, okay, kids, come over here. This is not a toy. And I want to show you how it works. So I brought him over there, and I'm a teacher. So I always use the kind of, I keep reiterating, I tell stories and examples, and I say, all right, kids, come over here. This was a teaching moment. And I brought the kids there, and I turned that little red knob right there, and I said, now, come here. You don't ever turn this knob. You got that? Don't turn this knob. And I kept showing him, don't turn this knob. Because every time you turn this knob, some gas goes on. Now, remember, I had never lit this thing before, and that lid was shut, and I kept showing them. Remember, and don't touch this one either. There's three of them, and don't touch it. Because when you turn it, watch this. You push and turn, and it, I don't want you to do that. You get it? And they're like, yes, Daddy. And I said, now, <laughs> as I kept showing them how to, now the last thing you do not ever want to do is touch that big red button right there because that thing lights this. Do you understand? This is not a toy. One more time. Don't turn these buttons like this. And now the whole time I'm doing that, what's happening on the inside of that gas grill? That gas is building up. And then I say, now, Drew, Natalie, come over here. I want you to look to see what happens when I push this red button. So we <laughs> slowly open up the lid. And I say, now watch. Lean in and look with me. <laughs> watch what happens. And I push that big red button. And a fireball the size of Southern California engulfed all of us. It went like that. And we stood there with our hair burned and singed. And their eyes were like this. And they just stood there like this. And my wife comes running and she said, what happened? And I said, and they said, Mama, 
don't ever touch that red button, mama. <laughs> it was an amazing lesson. I'm always, it's always funny when I come talking to families about how to raise families and how to parent. I'm like, I'm not sure I know how very well. I almost blew up my children. My eyebrows used to be blonde. Now look at them. It's amazing. Sometimes when we as families love each other well, there's something powerful and deeply attractive by it. All men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In Isaiah, he says, are you always aware of my presence? I want to just give you three kind of points today about how do we have a flourishing family. I think there's three things we need to do as individuals, as couples who walk with Jesus, who love Jesus in order for us to draw the attention back to him. I think we have to do three things. I think we have to be, first of all, aware. Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. How many are familiar with that verse? He's talking about the destruction of Babylon, Babylonian, and he's talking about how he was going to restore and follow and keep people, his followers, together. And he said this in Isaiah 43. Don't call to mind the former things or ponder the things of the past. Behold, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. This is my favorite question in this passage. Will you not be aware of it? You see, I will even make roadways in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Are any of y'all feeling sometimes like maybe you're in the wilderness? Things are good. There's a lot going on, though. I think our culture today and a lot of Christians are in the wilderness. They are busy. Phones and computers and work and teaching, and speaking, and traveling, and family, and we're in the wilderness. And he says, behold, I will do something new. Will you not be aware of it? I will even make a roadway in the wilderness, the wilderness of everything around us, but we have to be willing to say, Lord, help me. I want to be aware of it. How do we become more aware of who he is in our families and what we're doing? Sometimes in the wilderness, we forget the people around us. We could lose connection with our closest family members, our spouses, because of busyness. Do you agree? Is it possible to lose connection with those around by doing the right things, doing good things? But we miss them. Some of you might be in a desert. It might be a dry season. It might be hard. And he says, behold, I'll do something new. I'll even make a river in the desert. Will you not be aware? How could you not be aware of it? How could you not be aware of a river in the desert or a roadway in the wilderness? It's because sometimes we get so caught up, we're so busy that we lose those connections that are important. My wife and I run a center for marriage and relationships, and we talk to couples all the time about not being disconnected. How do you stay connected? How do you have a good relationship? Because the world notices and pays attention. It takes effort and work. And we have to wait and be aware of him. How will we be aware of it? Awareness, by the way, is an amazing word in Scripture. It's a deep and powerful word. God made us in our brains to be aware of all kinds of things, including his spirit and his presence. He made us aware. Has God ever left this room? Is his, is his spirit in this room right now? Do we believe his angels surround this room? He's not left. He's here. Why aren't we aware of it? Sometimes we are. 
Sometimes we're in a place in life where we do pay attention to it. We are there. He is in my marriage. He is in my relationship. And sometimes I get too busy and I don't pay attention. Awareness is an amazing word. As a psychologist, I'll just tell you, the brain is exquisitely designed to pick up things about other people, including God. Do you know there's a man who had a series of strokes? And a series of strokes left him blind. The strokes wiped out the connection between his eyes and the back of his brain that processes vision. He's blind. He can't see anything because of the neural pathway that went from here to here was wiped out in these strokes. With a very interesting exception, do you know if you put a picture in front of this man who is blind of a person making an expression of an emotion on their face and you put it in front of him, he can't see it. But if you ask him, what's the emotion on the face of the person in front of you? He guesses it correctly. The man is blind. But if you put a picture in front of him and the person is making an angry face, he goes, I think he's angry. I think he's happy. I think he's disgusted. Now, how can a blind man see a facial expression? You see, because what happens and what we've learned with patient X is something very fascinating about God's design of you and our brains. He made two pathways to vision. Two. This is the pathway that we see, this high road, this pathway that we see and we look around and we can navigate and I can see things. And he made our brains with a second pathway that didn't get wiped out by this stroke. That second pathway goes from this man's eyes that were still functioning just fine down the lower nerve to the amygdala, the part of the brain that extracts emotional meanings from frowns and grimaces and facial expressions. And he felt the emotion of the person that he was looking at. This is a blind man. What it tells me and what it tells you is awareness is pretty cool and pretty powerful and God made us with two pathways to vision. That which we see and that which we sometimes feel and pull out. You ever felt God's presence sometimes? We don't ever see him. Most of you have never seen God, but you felt his presence. How many of you ever felt the presence of God in talking to somebody? Has there ever been a moment of holiness when we were worshiping and singing music? Do you ever feel God's presence? Can you maybe see it in somebody? That's what we're talking about. So you can therefore model to a perishing world by your love. People can see you. And yet in seeing you, they also see God himself. This isn't weird. This isn't strange. This is in the Bible. He says, you will all men will know that you are my all men will know that you are his disciples by your love it's not by your words though that helps it's by your love for one another think about that for just a minute so you know what my point is what do you notice and pay attention to god sees the sons of israel and he took notice of them i could go through passage after passage after passage of god's noticing of us God notices us. Do you remember? This is a cool one. How about Jesus when he went and he was walking at the parable of the dinner guests in Luke 14? What did Jesus notice? You would think, well, I don't know. This is Jesus. He would probably see the people. and He would say, he sometimes said in scripture, 
I have seen these hurting people and I want to gather them in my wings like a mother hen and pull them in. He sees hurting. But what did he notice at the dinner? He saw people and he noticed where they had been picking out where to sit. This is the Savior, the King of the universe who was watching where people were picking out where to sit. Now, none of y'all are in the front row. But back then, they would have sat in the front row because it was what? What was the front row to them? It was a place of honor. And they sat there, and he noticed, and he said, you are picking out this seat of honor. Here's what I want you to do instead. He notices the little things. In, uh, I think that says Matthew 18, 7, Matthew 8, 17. Do you not yet see or understand? Do you have a hardened heart? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? God created us with some amazing capacities in the brain. I'm always amazed at how much we can pick up with our brains if, and how much we can be aware of God if we just simply stay aware of him. And so that is my first point, is to master the art of being mindful. Are you aware of his presence? When you come in, do you, when you talk to somebody, this week I had the awesome privilege of having people who come in with relationship issues, who sit in my office, who want advice and need help. They've been married for eight months, this couple. And they are struggling. And they are hurting. And they need help. And all I can do is to master the art of asking this question, Lord, be here now with me. Help me to walk and to minister and to be mindful and aware of you. Because you made me that way. You made me aware of who you are. Our souls, our very beings are composed of that which says, I have created you. There's all kinds of passages. So am I aware of his presence? Matthew, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. I'm continually with you, said the psalmist. In fact, Isaiah says, don't fear, I'm with you. Don't anxiously look about you, for I am your God. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Do you know he holds our hands? God says he holds our hands. He takes hold of our right hand. I sometimes think we don't pay as much attention to his presence. And when we help couples... We ask them to do something. We ask them to pay attention to each other and seek God and ask him to be present in there and to see if we're aware of his presence because he's always with us. He's ever present. And then some things that we like to practice and maybe you do too is where's that place that you can meet him, a holy, sacred place? I don't know where that is uh, for you. It might be it's, um, maybe it's someplace in your home or a garden. It's clearly in worship time or church. Maybe it's walking on a beach. Wherever it is, invest and find that one thing in our marriage in our relationship for us i know elisa sees and knows and feels god when she's in when she's walking on the beach or she's in the mountains or she's out in the and when she worships that's when she finds god and meets him and my job is to encourage her to do those even more so you will find my wife almost every morning out on our patio outside sitting there around this creek in a quiet place because that's where she sees God. And my job is to encourage that and find my place. See, when our relationship with God is healthy, then our relationships with other people are healthy. Do you agree with that? Yeah, of course. I want her 
to walk with Jesus, to know him, to love him, because then I know that I'm going to get the best and she's going to get the best from me. Okay, make sense? We need to master that art of mindfulness. He built our brains. We need to pay attention. And sometimes I don't think we pay enough attention to his presence. He's never left us. It's an amazing thing, his presence. I wish I could tell you more stories about psychology and what we found out about things like marriage and hand-holding and what it means, but I don't have as much time. Am I really aware then of others around me? Am I really aware? We challenged our children to do this. If you ask me to give you a piece of advice for families, for raising young children, and I see many of you have young children, they've asked me before, what advice would you give to a family or to, to new parents as they, or to parents who have young children? It's something that I was taught but through our marriage and through our time, we learned and watched. And I think if you gave us one opportunity to give you four words, it would be this. Teach your kids to be interested, not interesting. What does that mean? What does it mean? You ever watch kids? I don't know if you all seen your kids. They are more interested in being Interesting. They want the world to see them. What shoes they're wearing, and I'm doing this, and I'm like this, and oh, look at me, and making noise, and over here, blah, blah, blah. Yeah? And sometimes, or Lisa and I, one time we went over to a couple's house, and we sat there, and the entire time after about two hours we left, you know why? After we left, we said this. They don't know a single thing about us. They didn't know a single, they never asked us a single question. They were just telling us about their life and their story and everything here and everything they're doing and all of this and all this. And they didn't ask a single question of us and we walked away saying, we will never do that. If somebody comes over to our house, our children will be more interested than interesting. They will ask questions. If you come over to my house today, we have a 14-year-old daughter and she will sit there and she will say this. So, as you sit down to dinner with us, she'll start asking you questions about all kinds of things. So where are you from? What's your favorite fast food restaurant? What do you enjoy doing in life? Ever since she was like three or four, she'd say, Daddy, can we play that game? And people would just be interviewed in front of our house because she wanted to be interested. Now, we don't always do this well, but if you want to teach them to do something well, teach them to ask questions of others and to be interested in them. Be interested. What about this person you're in front of? Because you could begin to see the holy in them. What do you guys think of that? Rather than being interesting. It's about being awareness, being aware of other people. Just to be sensitive to time. Go ahead and let's play this. Watch this cool thing. And I know you guys get tired of me. It's little things. Coach Peter Morales of the Coronado High School Thunderbirds in El Paso, Texas, makes no qualms about it. He has a favorite on this team. Mitchell, I need you. I need you to help me out with my coaching tips, Mitchell. Team manager Mitchell Marcus has a developmental disability. One, two, three, four. And he far surpasses everyone here when it comes to love of the game. He's just an amazing person. Dude. Our basketball team loves being around. Yay! Mitchell's mom, Amy, says he's always been that way. Mitchell always had a basketball. That was always what he wanted for his birthday. And because basketball is that important to him, on the last game of the regular season, the coach told Mitchell to suit up. What was it like to put on the uniform? I was very happy. I imagine you were. Just wearing a jersey was enough for Mitchell. But what he didn't know, what no one knew at the time, was that the coach planned to play him. At the end, 
no matter what the score. You were prepared to lose that game? For his moment, yes. For his moment in time, yes. And so with a minute and a half left, Coronado leading, but only by 10, Coach Morales put in his manager. And just started hearing Mitchell, Mitchell. But here's where the fairy tale fell apart. Although his teammates did everything they could to get Mitchell a basket, each time they passed him the ball, he either missed the shot or, like on their last possession, booted it out of bounds, turning the ball over to the other team with just seconds left. He wasn't going to be able to score, but I was hoping that he was happy that he was just put in the game. Could you have ever imagined what happened next? No, I did. I could not. Not at all. What happened next happened on the inbound. The guy with the ball there is a senior at Franklin High School, number 22, Jonathan Montañez. Uh, I just, I was raised to treat others how you want to be treated. Just thought Mitchell deserved his chance, deserved his opportunity. I think I'll cry about it for the rest of my life. What Jonathan did was yell out Mitchell's name, then threw the ball right to it, right there. One of the most memorable turnovers of all time. It wasn't the game-winning shot. When the buzzer sounded, Coronado had 15 more points than Franklin. But Jonathan's assist and Mitchell's basket did change the outcome decidedly. Play any game with this much sportsmanship. Both teams win. Steve Hartman on the road in El Paso, Texas. That's how I want to raise my children. I want my child to be on a team when he looks out for the interests of somebody else. Did you see his, room, his teammate when he passed that ball? Jonathan Montanez was on the other team, and he turned it over. And in fact, Jonathan Montanez's teammate was standing there, and he went like this. He went, ah, what are you doing? You gave the ball to the enemy. But Jonathan Montanez was raised to treat others the same way you want to be treated. That's what it means. It's better to be interested. Jonathan Montanez paid attention to the needs of somebody else and saw what was going on. Isn't that an amazing story? I love that. That kid saw somebody and thought, who cares? This is important. I'm going to pass him the ball. I love that. We are told by Luke and by Jesus himself in this passage that to treat others the same way you want to be treated. That means pay attention to them. To know them. In our marriages, do we pay attention? Are we aware? You see, I'm an extremely selfish individual. I learned that about the first couple of days of marriage. I want things my way. And I've had to learn, what does it mean to look out for the interest of somebody else? You see, here's what Jesus said in John 13, 34 and 35. They will know us by our love. By, all, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. So as we end, I just want to give you some, uh, we'll probably just end with, who do we take notice of? Are there families and people that you take notice of? Like I did when I was in college. I started looking around and seeing these people. Are there some that you take notice of? What are they like? What do you see in people? What do you see in married couples? What do you take notice of? What do they do well? You know what this man did well? He would ask his wife permission, and they would agree together what TV programs he could watch and not watch. And he had all this listed out, and they would go over this together because he knew if he put some TV programs into his mind, he wasn't a good person. 
and it wasn't healthy. And I went, you do what? That's awesome. What are some things that people do, people around you that you say, I believe that's a cool thing in my relationship. That's what I want to do. I want to learn how to pray for you. I want to learn how to walk with you. I want to see things. So what do you take notice of? Anybody real quickly as we finish? What do you take notice of? What stands out to you in some families that love Jesus? Do they love each other well? What do you see them do? Do you watch them pray together? Do you watch them and you see there's love there. There's something better, different. What do you notice? What do you pay attention to? I'll give us some examples, and then we'll end here. I think those who are kind-hearted, gracious, and loving. We see some people that are kind-hearted. Paul talked about in Ephesians this very idea, put off anger and jealousy and malice and discontent. Put it off and put on. Put on kindness. Do they treat each other with kindness? You see, you pick it up. You pick up these emotions because of our brains. We watch other people. We pick that kindness up. People that are interested. So those who are interested, not interesting, I think they stand out to us a lot. How about people that are quick to listen and slow to speak? James 1.19, they stand out to us. How about people have firm beliefs but that are also warm? We could talk a whole lot about in psychology and the findings that people who have grace and truth. You heard Dr. Corey in here one time, I would imagine, probably talked about kindness and grace. And the people that are warm and still have firm beliefs, those are people that we take notice of. And these are families that have a Christ-centered love. So to master the art of awareness, to pay attention, to take the perspective of others, um, to reach out, that's kind of, I think, one of the passages. And then just this idea, when in Isaiah 43, one more time, when he says this, in John 13, 34, all men will know my, you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And then he says, behold, I will do something new. Even now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? Awareness, mindfulness is something that God says, I never left you. I've never let go of your hand. I'm always there. I'm working. Just this morning in my quiet time, Jesus equated himself with God when he said, my God is at work today because he healed on the Sabbath. And the people said, what are you doing? He said, because my God is working and I am also working today. That's what Jesus said. He doesn't stop. He's always there. He's always here and present. So I would say, learn these tricks of watching and waiting on him. See what he asks us to do in our relationships. Take the interest and the perspective of others. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. And if you want more, we do this cool marriage conference in three weeks, two weeks at Biola University. We've been doing it for about four years now. So pray with us that the couples there, we give them time to reflect and to ask God, God, be present here. We teach them about marriage and relationships. And then we bring them, we make them go after they've heard a talk like this. Our theme this year is a grace-filled marriage. And when they're done, they have to go pray and ask God, God, show me and reveal to me 
anxious, my, any anxious thoughts and hurtful ways and lead me in the everlasting way. Lead me. Lead me in the everlasting way, as the psalmist said. And we teach couples how to do this, and then we offer them a time to reflect and to be with God. So that's October, I don't know, 6th and 7th, sometime in October. First weekend. And there's handouts back there if you want, if you're interested. It's an awesome place. If you want to give a gift to a young married couple, send them to this conference. It's only like 60, 70 bucks. Okay. Father, I pray for these dear families who love you, who walk with you, who know you, who seek you and seek to uh, be just used by you in the needs of this world, to hear the gospel. And Father, and these families that love you deeply, let them model what it means to love Jesus by their gifts, by their love for one another, by their words, and by their actions. For all men will know that we are your disciples. And I pray for these families in this ministry, the New Beginnings Christian Fellowship, that they would have an impact in the world because of their love and their action and their heart for one another in a perishing world. So I just pray for a blessing over them. Go before them and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.